Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 31. As always, if you have questions that you want me to answer, then send them on my email, michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K, or send them on Facebook through the widget on scientifictriathlon.com. Big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. And if you are looking for a fast and furious wetsuit for the tri season and race season coming up, then I highly, highly recommend that you check out Roka's line of Maverick wetsuits. Uh, the entry level Roka wetsuits are, are designed to such a degree that they can be competitive with, with most high end wetsuits and, and Roka's high end wetsuit that's the Maverick X that I'm using. I'm lucky enough to, to be in that. It feels almost like being launched out of a submarine as a, as a torpedo when, when you start swimming in it. That's, that's how good and fast it feels. So I really love it. And, and the times show that it's, it's fast as well. I've compared it with, with my other wetsuits and, and it's significantly faster. And what's even better is that you can pair the Roka wetsuit with uh, a pair of Roka goggles, like the R1 goggles which have a, a great angle so that you can you don't need to lift your head as much to get a good angle when you're sighting so that makes your position in the water more consistent and and uh, makes you lose less momentum which is awesome and uh, they also happen to have really really good optics various different uh, different versions for different lighting conditions of course so the roca r1 goggles are highly recommended as well so that you're all set for your triathlon open water swimming season check them out on roca.com and get 20 percent off your entire order with the promo code tts and thank you to precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com if you're looking for some uh, interesting reading, more good sources of information in the endurance sports industry, I highly recommend following Precision Hydration's blog and their newsletter because they're one of the outlets, one of the few outlets actually that I still follow because they have good high quality content, often quite long form content that, that is, is very informative and, and educational in both the newsletter and in the blog. So definitely check those uh, those resources out and uh, if you're interested in learning more about how to hydrate in your races take their free online sweat test and uh, get a personalized hydration strategy for you and then you can use the promo code that's triathlon show all on word all caps to get your first box for free all right today's question is from steve sharp in the uk and he writes hi michael i thought this might be an interesting topic for the podcast uh, it's about, and he links three different articles on uh, on low cadence training on uh, and racing on the bike. So these three blogs and papers suggest that low cadence is better for triathletes than a higher cadence. I'm currently following Trainer Road, and uh, Coach Chad at Trainer Road is always talking about the benefit of higher cadences. So what does the science say? Okay, Steve, thank you for your question. I actually talked about this back in Q&A number two, which I'll link to, but that's a while ago. So it's good to bring this question up again. Uh, although a lot of what I'll say is exactly what I said back then. So first, regarding the, the actual physiology of high cadence versus low cadence, we know that mechanically speaking, a lower cadence is more effective. So 50 to 80 RPM is where your gross efficiency is the highest. So you can produce 
the most amount of power for the least amount of uh, of energy so your vo2 your your oxygen consumption is the lowest for a constant power output in that cadence range and if we get a bit more detailed uh, the the optimal the ideal cadence for an individual increases with increasing power output or increasing intensity uh, so so within that range let's say that you're pedaling at 150 maybe your optimal cadence would be 50 but if you're pedaling at at 300 maybe your optimal cadence would be 80 so so that's an example and uh, efficiency is uh, also you can also you can draw that as in terms of cadence at a fixed power output you efficiency is uh, like an upside down u-shaped curve so at too low cadences below 50 it's it's not efficient uh, and at too high cadences it's it's not as efficient either uh, since triathlons are all even sprint triathlons are endurance events with relatively low power values and yes they are uh, even sprints compared to like the uh, the kilometer race or the four kilometer race on the track uh, that means that it makes sense that 120 rpm isn't the ideal cadence and if you compare the distances like comparing a sprint to an ironman maybe since the ironman does have a significantly lower power output than a sprint it makes sense that in an Ironman you would have a lower cadence as well compared to a, to a sprint. And, and this is at least what we, I don't think that we, there is any evidence for it, uh, scientifically speaking, but this is what you tend to see in practice from the professionals with sprint and Olympic distance specialists having definitely higher cadences than their long distance counterparts. So to talk a little bit more about that efficiency thing, when you're you have a high efficiency it means that you're wasting wasting less energy so in other words when you're pedaling at a very high cadence some of the energy that you're consuming does not actually go to driving your bike forward it just goes to uh, internal energy production of of various different forms Uh, what does happen is that you may be using a little less fast twitch muscle fiber when you are pedaling at a higher rpm because the force per pedal stroke is lower. So there could be a risk if you're not trained to do so, that if you pedal at a too low cadence, that you really run your fast twitch fibers, which are more fatigable than slow twitch, into the ground, so to say. And that means that your performance could really tank on the run. But uh, you can train your fast twitch muscle fibers to be more resilient and get less fatigable and get the best of both worlds. Get good efficiency through the slightly lower cadence and, and also have that resilience to be able to, to do that. Uh, so remember also that in, of course, in the 70.3 and Ironman race, the power output is low enough that it's not as if you activate a massive amount of fast twitch fiber with with each pedal stroke anyway you you would need to be at around about 75 percent of vo2 max to uh, to even start activating your your fast twitch muscle fiber so uh, sure in 7.3 you're going to be activating some but in a in an ironman it's uh, the contribution is going to be very little, very small at the start, and only later when you your slow twitch fibers actually fatigue. That's when you're going to start to see that sort of fiber cycling. So so fast twitch fibers are also rotated into the mix. Uh, but another thing that that I also talked about in that Q and A number two that's not often talked about is that some studies have actually shown increased brain activity with increased cadence. 
And that may sound like a good thing, like it's good to have an active brain, right? Well, actually not, because we know that the brain is by far the biggest source of energy consumption that we have. So there is a potential that that's another reason that low-cadence uh, cycling is actually less efficient, not just mechanically, but also metabolically. You're, we're wasting more more energy in terms of, of carbohydrate to, uh, because the brain runs on glucose primarily to, to actually be able to pedal at a higher cadence. So this is something that is still pretty new and not, it hasn't, there isn't a whole lot of evidence for it, but, but it's, uh, it's quite interesting and, and it's something that could play a role as well in how you choose your, your cadence. But to sum up, I do think that we can say that there are strong indications for using a slightly lower cadence in triathlon racing, especially in longer races like 7.3 and half Ironmans. Now, in terms of actual training and training effects, in terms of peer-reviewed scientific studies, there isn't a whole lot out there and the results are mixed. There is a great review article that I linked to and uh, that I also talked about, which is by Hansen and uh, Ronestadt. It's called The Effects of Cycling Training at Imposed Low Cadences, a Systematic Review. And while they didn't find any great effects of uh, using low cadence training over self-selected cadence training they did find that compared to high cadence training uh, in many cases low cadence training seemed to consistently result in better performances and this is actually most clear when you look at the table in the appendix of uh, of the paper which uh, i think it's table seven uh, that shows a list of all the studies, summarizes all the studies that were included in this systematic review. So that's where you can go and have a look at at that. Also, another thing that, that you can note when you look at that table is that there are often, more often positive differences in favor of low-cadence training in studies with more well-trained participants. And perhaps there is this is a case of the more untrained subjects in uh, the other studies, they improve no matter what you do. So you can't really detect any difference between low cadence training and not including it. But when it comes to the more high trained athletes, that's when the differences start to shine through. Potentially. This isn't the researchers. I don't think that they wrote it anywhere, at least not in the discussion or the, or the abstract or, or conclusion. I didn't read the whole thing over again this time because I read it last time. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think that they talked about that. But that was just something that I noticed from the table that potentially could play a role here. Again, uh, it's speculative and open for discussion. But what they did note, though, is that uh, they do recommend, based on the evidence, to train at a large range of cadences. So they note that there is a place for training at low cadences and also very, very high cadences because that has benefits as well. Great neural adaptations when you train at high cadences, doing things like high cadence spin-ups and that sort of thing. But in terms of low cadence training and benefits, there is a whole lot of anecdotal evidence. Otherwise, cycling coaches for decades wouldn't have used it in, in the training programs after all. And, and I think the best resource that I have for this is actually my interview with Sebastian Weber in episode 169. And Sebastian talked about how the whole reason that the low cadence training works for some athletes is that these athletes, they have a higher lactate building rate, a VLA max, than what is ideal for their sport and specialty. And for non-draft triathlon especially, you can aim to get really low on that VLA max spectrum. And that will be a benefit for you because at a lower VLA max, everything else being equal, you will have a higher threshold power. 
So that is actually, that brings us to the reason that studies haven't necessarily been able to show the effects of low cadence training. Maybe that uh, many of the participants in those studies may already have had a low VLA max. So what would be really interesting to see is the breakdown of responders and non-responders in those studies. Because surely I think that quite a few of those participants will have had a great response and uh, but but some others might not because maybe these athletes already were of that kind of profile that this type of training isn't going to be any more benefit from them because they're already of a low VLA max type of athletic profile. Just uh, for reference, if you don't quite remember, uh, the reason that some athletes, like if you have a high VLA max or higher VLA max, that locator training works well for those kinds of athletes, it is that they may have a lot of of more fast twitch fiber a lot of type 2a and 2x fast twitch that produce a lot of energy anaerobically through glycolysis and uh, when we train at low cadences at reasonably high power outputs we can turn these fibers into type 2a which are uh, less fatigable than type 2x and also they are capable of of aerobic oxidative energy production as well as as anaerobic through glycolysis so, so that is going to be a great benefit from us uh, for us in uh, turning us into more stronger aerobic endurance athletes. Uh, so, if you really want to know whether you're a prime candidate to benefit from low cadence training or not, then uh, the thing to do for sure is to take an inside test, and this can be done at home or on the road with just your power meter. Uh, I'll link to the details on my website for how you can do it uh, with with me. There are other coaches as well that offer the service if you prefer that. You can also find it in the menu bar on scientifictriathlon.com called Inside Testing to learn more about that. But through that testing, you will learn what your VLA max is. And if you have room to lower it, then that is an indication that for you, low cadence training will be probably a good thing to include to to improve your your threshold power. It is important to remember that in in the studies uh, cited in, in uh, in that review, the performance marker is never something as long as a half or a full Ironman. So besides the particular performance benefit, like in terms of, for example, increased threshold power through training at low cadences, then uh, if you buy into the idea that it may make sense to do longer races at slightly lower cadences, like let's say 80 RPM rather than 95, then regardless of your metabolic profile, like your VLA max, for example, you should be doing some lower cadence training anyway to prepare specifically to be handle that on race day. Of course, you you don't train all your uh, do all your workouts at ninety five RPM and then you turn up on race day and do and plan to go on eighty RPM. That that's not a good idea. So that's almost it. But to wrap up, I did a quick check on Google Scholar to see what new studies on cadence have been published since two thousand eighteen or throughout 2018, I should say, and 2019 so far. So here's a quick fire round of uh, what I found and some main findings. I'll link to all of these in the description. Brennan and colleagues found that the metabolic cost was lowest at 60 RPM when they compared 40, 60, 80, 100 and self-selected cadence, where self-selected cadence was 81 RPM. And they found that the distribution of joint work remained constant across cadences. Mitchell and colleagues found they compared 60, 90, and 120 RPM cadences 
and they found that high cadence cycling at sub-maximal intensities is metabolically inefficient. So you have higher VO2, higher oxygen consumption for the same power. It also increases the EMG, the electromyography of the diaphragm and uh, the work of breath or the work of breathing. And it increases the leg muscle blood flow relative to slower cadences. Basically, it shows in various ways that at high cadences, so that was at 120, you work a lot harder. Uh, In terms of comparing 60 to 90 RPM, though, the only difference was for the metabolic efficiency. So you consume more VO2, more oxygen uh, for the same power at 90 compared to 60 RPM. But in terms of the the EMG of the diaphragm and the the work of breathing and the leg muscle blood flow, flow, that that wasn't significantly different. Graham and colleagues had an interesting study, especially because it was done in female cyclists, cyclists, and it was called Effect of Cadence on Time Trial Performance in Recreational Female Cyclists. They compared 60 versus 100 uh, RPM on uh, uh, training, and, uh, and actually not training, sorry, racing in a time trial condition. Uh, I don't remember exactly how long this time trial was, uh, but either way, uh, the 60 RPM group did the time trial in an average of 34 minutes, 23 seconds. And the 100 RPM group did it in 37 minutes and 34 seconds. So a 9% difference. And if I remember correctly, actually, this was a crossover design. So it should be a crossover design. So, uh, so everybody did both time trials, uh, every participant that is in, in both conditions at 60 and, and 100 RPM. And, uh, also, the 60 RPM time trial, it uh, resulted in significant differences for heart rate, significantly lower heart rate, 156 compared to 161, and gross efficiency. So again, that mechanical efficiency we've been talking about, and power output. So the time trial power was 147 at 60 RPM uh, compared to 129 on average at 90 RPM. And then we have Oswald and colleagues, they investigated seven different cadences at three different power outputs and they found that increasing cadence led to increasing knee joint power and decreasing hip joint power and they also found that uh, elite cyclists that participated and were grouped on on their own so to say they had a higher relative hip joint power compared to the recreational uh, cyclist group and this is quite interesting and it could be another argument for strength training and specifically strengthening the hips. And finally, Blackwood and colleagues, this is just a poster uh, abstract. So they uh, compared a self-selected cadence versus a low cadence of 55 to 70 RPM versus a high cadence of 100 to 150 RPM. And and they found that between the low cadence and the self-selected cadence, there were no differences between the metabolic efficiency or the energy expenditure and uh, time to exhaustion. So that is in contrast to most other studies. And uh, they did find that the high cadence group, so the 100 to 115, they they were less energy efficient and had a reduced time to exhaustion in the time trial. But uh, no difference when comparing the the low cadence with the self-selected cadence group. All right, so that's about it for this episode. It takes me a long time always to do these more research science-based episodes, a lot of time to go and read research, find research, 
uh, check facts, etc. So I'm not going to take any more questions than that for today. But I'll link to everything in the show notes. Q&A number two, where I first talked about Cadence, uh, the episode with Sebastian Weber on FTP, VO2 Max and VLA Max, uh, inside testing, and a link to the review by Hansen and Rönestad, which is a great review. I highly recommend looking at that, and especially that table that I mentioned with all the included studies. And then these last quickfire rounds of studies that I also talked about. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your individual race hydration strategy and use the promo code thattraffloshow, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roca.com. Go and check out their range of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and take 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.